Net-A-Porter presents the Incredible Women podcast, Series 1, Celebrating Togetherness. I am in my closet. And where are you, Yara? I am in the front room. Well, I know I came downstairs quite late, so I haven't had the chance to ask you. How are you doing? Hi, darling. Thank you for asking me that. Uh, I'm doing really well. I haven't had my, my Yara hug. I've gotten... I've gotten your brother's hugs already, um, so I look forward to that in the next hour or so, meeting you somewhere in the house. Welcome to Celebrating Togetherness by Netta Porte. I'm Alice Casely Hayford. In this series, we are joined by pairs of incredible women as they share intimate moments, memories, and some much-needed laughter with their loved ones. In a year like no other, these are stories about life in 2020 and beyond, and the strength we draw from togetherness. Kerry and Yara Shahidi are a powerful mother-daughter duo. Yara is best known for her roles in critically acclaimed TV show Blackish and Grownish, and now following in her mother's footsteps into producing. Earlier this year, they became business partners, bringing together their brilliant talents to launch their own production company, Seventh Son, all while Yara has been juggling her education at Harvard University. In this episode, they discuss creating space and uplifting underrepresented voices reminding each other of the importance of downtime and the invaluable lessons they've taught each other. Throughout the year, and particularly this holiday season, they are thinking about how they can give back, and in their own words, how they can be of service to others. I'm trying to give myself space to actually do morning routines. And I mean, it even brings me to a a kind of question we've had, because now being in um and quarantine and, and social distancing for what seven eight seven months almost now months, yeah. almost eight months i feel as though we've cycled through so many different systems uh you know every month feels like it's a new experiment of mm-hmm. trying to figure out what works what doesn't work mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, how can we pour into ourselves how can we give ourselves a break how are we productive and i i mean even thinking about how I started quarantine versus the middle of quarantine versus now, it seems like three different lifetimes. And I'm wondering if you could even kind of talk about some of the systems that you've gone through this quarantine, some of the things that you've experimented with, and then where you are settling right now. I think the one thing that has been a through line in my life and in yours are fresh baked cookies. Yes. And I'd say in almost eight months, there's only been maybe under five days where there's not fresh cookie dough in the fridge. So it may sound surface level really trivial or, you know, it may just sound like cookies. But when you all were really little, I remember baking cookies every day. And your father saying, why are you doing that? And I said, because it's an olfactory sense. I want them to attach it to joy when they come home from school or there's something about that moment because we typically stand around eating gooey cookies together. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's the one thing that's been my through line this whole time has been baking. And and then I'd say what, what has been most impactful and important to me for myself has been my health journey. And so I started working out online and that has been my other journey with my health. And I think maybe like a month or two into it, I looked down and I was like, my gosh, I have abs. Um, I was not expecting that. But what it did for me was it, it helped alleviate my chronic back pain. 
And so I say all this to say that many times we take a health journey, and because I've been 20, 30, 40, we take a health journey for aesthetic reasons. Uh, this was one of my first times of taking a health journey for internal reasons and reaping the unknown benefit of it. Of How many times have I walked by the mirror like, is that really me? And not giving up my cookies. <laughs> yes. Right? Uh-huh. What has it been like for you juggling academia, your personal mm -hmm. life, your business, and politics, which is so important to you and to everybody in our world? Yeah. Um, I mean, since quarantine started, aka when I flew back from school March 12th, uh, it's been interesting because I, I think the first part of it was really continuing the patterns that we were doing out in the world, but now at a distance. And so I, I even remember the moment, what, probably a month in where we looked at each other like, oh, have we taken a break? Have we adjusted to the fact that we're in completely different circumstances than we've been? Because I mean, in a matter of a week, school figured out how to be virtual and even less time, our meetings and everything for production was virtual. And so while we are absolutely grateful and reveled in the fact that we're in industries that allowed for that smooth transition, it almost meant that we had to press pause for a second to say, oh, have we acknowledged that we're in different circumstances or that we're going through something globally and communally that feels different? Um, and so that for school was interesting because it's, it's so hypothetical and coming from a space in which we have done distance learning, all girls Catholic school, Montessori. Mm -hmm. It's been interesting coming into the perspective of knowing the potential of school and knowing how malleable school is if you allow it to be, how self-directed it is. And so it was fascinating to see the ways in which um, nothing changed much about school. There was no time. I, I thought it was going to be a wonderful time to reinvent how we educate people. Right. Uh, but no, we just shifted to Zoom. <laughs> and so that was quite funny. Um, but in terms of work, I have to say not only the pandemic, but I think what we've all witnessed in terms of state-sanctioned violence, in terms of just the, the trauma communally that we've seen and had to endure, the space of being in production has taken on more and more meaning for me just because uh, there's one thing to be on a show like Grownish and like Blackish that does its best to address these issues. And I'm, I'm grateful to be in those environments. But there's another thing to be able to be in the work of practicing equity from the ground up, yeah. you know, coming in as an actor, we've been in collaborative spaces before where they've accepted and really engaged with my voice, but there's something different about coming in as a producer and bringing in who you're going to collaborate with. And it's been so exciting in this time, seeing the relationships we've had the opportunity to build with other creatives, other people that, haven't necessarily gotten their foot in the door of the ever exclusive studio system. Uh -huh. um, and also of being able to have those conversations with our counterparts or our colleagues in the studio system about the intention behind what we do and the idea that uh, at every step of the process of creating television, there should be a goal that is greater than ourselves. Um, and 
that has been really fulfilling to see that take shape and to see the ways in which we've been able to engage with so many cool people. Absolutely. And like you're saying, what's been so fun is cracking the code of taking a black playwright, female playwright, and saying, come on into the TV space and let us wrap our arms around you while you build this world Mm -hmm. that you're so interested in. Being co-led by you, I always describe you as an irreverent 20-year-old. You know, there's, I think there's a correlation, like no mortgage, no car note. Let me dream my biggest dream. I'm not burdened. You know, you know you're not burdened by some of the things that adults are burdened by. So mm-hmm. you literally inspire us at every moment to do something that is audacious in every space, tiny space, big space. So I know you've, you've been thinking about that a lot mm-hmm. during your days. But what about your personal world. How you how are you creating that balance? Ah, uh, you've really helped me create it because I, I think if it were up to me, I'd be the type that would be um as I call it my hobbit hole, my little hobbit shire when I'm in my work mode. Um I'm trying to think now. I mean, yesterday was a great example because it was my first time. See, I'm even kind of getting emotional about Yeah, you are. <laughs> Even about, processing. About caring for yourself, child. Crazy stuff. It's crazy stuff. It's revolutionary. I think a lot of people don't understand how important those moments are. We feel an external burden to be doing. Mm. Right? That's been what I've been trying to take away from quarantine is figuring out how to experiment with that balance. Uh, because the first chunk of it so much of it was just spent kind of getting through the things we'd already committed to and it was midterms and finals and then there was this really amazing moment particularly over summer of loving everything we were doing in production because so much of it was already kind of bridging into the personal we were creating connections with people um that we know that we're going to know in a capacity outside of work Mm-hmm. And so that's been the one thing that I think the workspace has given me in particular um, is the privilege of being in a space where it's genuine community building and it's not confined to just like kind of one area of our life. And then in terms of the macro personal, I'm always trying to figure it out and oftentimes taking your guidance because I know that I have a tunnel vision in some senses and forget to say like, oh, let me invest in all of these sides of myself. And it hasn't necessarily gotten, I've talked to friends quite a bit and we're all at different stages and it's been quite funny to compare notes because some people I think hit the very reflective stage as soon as quarantine started. And so they've put their systems in place. And then mm-hmm. I think there's a group of us that it kind of took the eight months to be like, hmm, <laughs> Maybe we should rethink some things. Maybe we should begin to experiment and play around with what we want life to look like, Um, not just in this moment, but really outside of it. Because as much as this has been an anomaly in terms of particularly what we're juggling, that has kind of been the same. And so it is an interesting time to try and figure out as we prepare ourselves to hopefully be in a world in which global health is restored and we can go back to the systems as we know them, what we want that to look like. And I have no answers right now. You're 20. Like, why would you? (laughs) Right. Uh, You know, I was so proud of you after the election. 
you're exhausted. A lot of us were just exhausted. And, and I attribute that, especially for black women, I attribute that to PTSD. And I'm not talking post-traumatic, I'm talking present traumatic stress disorder, right? We open the interwebs and we see people being tackled, killed, missing, uh, hurt, uh, accused. Mm -hmm. There's no space for anything. Mm-hmm. You know, there are so many assumptions about what black is, right? Mm-hmm. And realizing that there are generations of families that have never been in community with somebody that looks like me, that mm-hmm. looks like 13 plus percent of the world. And and I'm not even talking the macro, you know, majority culture of brown and black folks, and so I, re- I was so proud of you because you were exhausted and, you know, you're in all of these high level classes, all grad <laughs> students, all this stuff, a lot of brain work. And you were tired and you were like, mm-hmm. I, I like, I can't do class. And like, as a parent <laughs> to me, you, you hit another like Mario Kart, you hit another level and you got whatever falls from the sky. Right. Um, and to know that it's okay, that it's enough to say, I'm exhausted. Yeah. I won't be in class. That was the interesting kind of macro shift that I've been noticing is like, well, how do we put self-care front and center? I mm-hmm. think something you had said to me well before quarantine was the idea that we can't care for others if we're not caring for ourselves. And that was as straightforward as it sounded, such a radical thought because there's sometimes um, – a dichotomy in in my mind of like, okay, you do for others or you're selfish. And it sounds so extreme. It is, I, especially you coming from me. <laughs> right. Like, and, but I think it was more so what I realized was like kind of the subconscious underpinning of like, well, why do I have such a repulsion towards just completely saying those things like I'm exhausted, those things mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. I can't, I can't be there today. I, I'm not in the space to be there today. You know, what I'm telling you as someone who works hard and plays harder and, and works right alongside you <laughs> yep. is that sometimes you just need to stare at a wall. <laughs> we have always used that as um, a reference point for doing nothing. And I absolutely love it. There's some times where I'm like, I just have to stare at a wall. My friends don't know what I'm talking <laughs> about. <laughs> right, right. It's so particular. But I mean, it kind of takes me to something else that has definitely been in play in the past seven months is finding what brings us joy. And it's been funny, the really small things that have become a part of our systems, like taking a family walk at night and realizing, yeah. have we ever walked around our neighborhood before <laughs> quarantine? Home was just kind of a pit stop between right. work. And so moments like that, moments like reveling in the virtual concerts, um, and even what's been really interesting is how much both of us have been in conversation with other people that inspire us. Yes. Like, I think that's been an interesting constant uh, as we've talked about community so often, trying to figure out how we enact community at a distance. And it's been really wonderful uh, being able to continue to prioritize being in conversation with people that may not have the same answers, but it's refreshing to even have different, hear different answers yeah. or people that are so willing to be a part of what feels like a very vulnerable conversation mm-hmm. of the, the, how are you? Right. And, and we've had fun cooking for our friends that are out there 
do it. Like yeah. we do, we do like surprise. Are you around? We're dropping off homemade food. Yes. We do that a lot. And that brings us a lot of joy because in those simple moments of knowing that sometimes just simple nourishment is such a revolutionary act of care that just brings us joy. Even the drives across yeah. town, we're like bebopping along. You did haze <laughs> me about my playlist because I depend on you. So I don't have a curated playlist. I see how much you love music. So when I go to your like music app and all I see are, are like my brother's songs because <laughs> you don't use the music app, it just always shocks me because I know that I've gotten my love of music from you and Bubba. So I was like, how is this feels like a state of disarray that I have? To, I feel personally responsible for not having set you up with all of your playlists. <laughs> I'm glad you're acknowledging it. Yeah. I know it's it's not a commentary on you. It's not you, it's me. <laughs> I think it just proves how much we're together, how much we work together, yes. how much we play together, we exercise together. When we started the the production company, what were you, what were your first thoughts around ABC coming to us and saying, "Hey, we want we want to hear more of your guys' stories." It was so exciting because I mean, we, we're a very creative family, and I feel like we've almost landed in the jobs that we held just by nature of being creative, but not necessarily because my passion project is to be an actor. Mm -hmm. I guess what I'm getting at is that I think our creative wants and desires feel so large, mm. and we've been really lucky to find certain avenues and outlets to be creative, but it wasn't necessarily anchored to the only way I want to be creative is by doing this one thing. And so there was something about production that felt really empowering. Mm -hmm. The idea of taking that step that we had already begun to take being behind the scenes on other projects, but really officially cement the idea that we have value and things to contribute in spaces of just blossoming ideas mm -hmm. and really allowing ourselves to honor everything that we want to see in this media landscape and everything that we wish we saw, everything that we've seen and want to see more of. Uh, and so when they first came to us, it was that moment of just extreme excitement, particularly when we kind of realized the setup of saying, oh, we can service all of these networks, this isn't just a deal to make content for one channel because they think, you know, we're happy, shiny, bubbly. Let's watch them make happy, shiny, bubbly TV. Or, you know, Yara's on a YA show, so let's have her make YA content. They literally came to us and saw that we have so much interest in every single area. Mm -hmm. And I think that, that was what made the moment surreal is just the fact that they... I feel like reflected back to us uh, what we know of ourselves. Uh -huh. And sometimes it's really refreshing to think like, oh, we think we're the same person or, or we're looking at the same person. Uh, right. So that was really cool. What about for you? I mean, it came at such an interesting time in our lives. It came at another moment of just extreme transition, yes. which is part of why I think we'd even waited to launch our production company. But uh, knowing that you were juggling, I don't know, 25 million things. Is that what you call your brothers? You call Is that their right. nickname? 25 million things? <laughs> yes, you got me. 
you know, that was that space where just like we are at home, I needed your, your guidance and your go get them tiger moment. Like, you know, so many times people may think that, oh, you're the parent and that's the child when that has been the inverse of our relationship that we, you know, we've collapsed all hierarchies in our home and in our relationships Mm -hmm. and learning comes from any space in our world. And I just remember turning to you multiple times, like, why, why I'm like, I get why you, but why me? And, you know, having that reflected back that we've been in the network's family since for 15 years, since your brother's Mm -hmm. first show on ABC. And so we had built relationships and Mm -hmm. it was that moment that all of a sudden I was like, Oh my gosh, we've been seen. And I think as black women, it's so, it's almost more, it's more normal for me to be like, Oh, they don't, they don't get me. They don't see me. Um, But for someone to proactively see us and offer us Mm -hmm. an opportunity that I hadn't come full circle to accepting it had been Mm -hmm. around us. Like you're saying, we had done projects It had been buzzing in our ear. Um, Our, our talent manager who's also like, you know, a sister and a life manager for me. She had been in my ear. We'd be standing on set and she's like, you're producing, you're producing. Um, And so to have that, to feel seen, I think was interesting. And then to feel empowered to say, this is amazing. We'd like to wait a year. Yeah. So that we could get you through your freshman year and Mm -hmm. to open the doors on, I think it was day one, season three of Grownish. Yep. I parked, you walked to the left and I walked to our offices. On the right. And it was, it's still exciting. Absolutely. I think the one thing that you've made clear and it is literally foundational to our family to be of service. I, I don't know how many times we say that to people earnestly, like, this is great. I have a phone call with somebody and we want to talk. And really my question is going to be like, well, how can I be of service? Mm-hmm. Is there something you're seeing in me that I can be of service? Or is there something I see in myself? Mm-hmm. And so that's been so fun to watch you blossom that and to re-energize that in me and, and the people around you. Thank you. I mean, being of service feels like a great segue to even talking about as we approach the holiday season, just because I think it is the thought that is foundational to how we even approach the holidays. Two things that I I, I always love to reflect on is the fact that we acknowledge that we're, we're fortunate enough to oftentimes receive the things that we want materially or otherwise throughout the year. And so that has really prompted us early on to redefine what holidays are. You've always said that in order to receive, you must constantly be giving and just allow that flow of abundance to flow through you. And so I I even remember early traditions of being with my brother on the floor with our watercolors, creating our card, our our, uh, holiday cards for the family. Well, that's when there were only two of you. There wasn't (laughs) even the third one yet. Yeah. And I just remember that moment of how excited I was every year because you tasked us with finding the organization we were going to donate to on behalf of the family. And that was just the coolest task one could be ever like assigned to do. And so Said and I would spend a lot of time thinking about it and trying to figure out how we want to give. But starting with that being some of my earliest memories of what the holidays were about, it has really helped, I think, as especially as I've gotten older, continue to redefine these moments 
that oftentimes feel very narrow in, in terms of how we're supposed to enact them and how we're supposed to practice and celebrate them. I'm wondering from you too, because I know this wasn't just something created for our household, but something that I feel like you evolved from the messages that you received in your own household, why that was important for you. I it's, You make such a good point. When I hear you repeating things back, I'm like, oh my God, I am my father. Um, and I am so grateful. <laughs> As a parent, because I, just as a human, my parents and my grandparents were such a big part of my life. My cousins, such a big part of my life. To see that play out with my children, I feel like my work is done. <laughs> you know, my, my families are connected. And that brings me to holidays. So because we have so many things available to us and giving shouldn't be relegated to a day. Right. So that came from my dad, although we did call him the Grinch growing up <laughs> and we called him the Grinch. We teased him and called him the Grinch because he would always be like, I give every day of the year. And he did. But as t as kids, we'd be like, yeah, but it's kind of Grinchy to like <laughs> and, and my and my brother and I are just like him. We, we are intentional about being of service and giving all year round. And so we even talked. Did we talk about it last week? Like what do we want to do this year? Where do we want to donate? You and I are looking at each other like we need nothing. Yeah. Zero. Your dad wants for nothing. Okay, maybe the boys will get them one thing that they would really appreciate. But even when I approached your 12-year-old brother last week and said, hey, we were thinking of foregoing gifts. He's like, okay, cool. Like that to me feels triumphant in spirit. And so when we talk about the holidays and we talk about you know, purpose. It all ties in. It's all inspired by you. Me? It is. I, I am but a mere reflection. Stop it. Um, I am your reflection. We are reflect. <laughs> We're that Spider-Man meme. Yeah. I know we'll continue this conversation as soon as we leave this room. <laughs> yes, we will. Well, I loved being in conversation with you as we are 24 hours of a day. <laughs> You are the gift that keeps on giving. You know that I'm getting a, a secondary education. Every time you, you leave a space and you come share, I'm, I literally take notes. You already know that. Uh, so I'm so excited to see you in the hallway. All right. Love you, Mama. I love you, too. Celebrating Togetherness was brought to you by Netaporte and Chalk and Blade. Hosted by Sarah Bailey and Alice Casely-Hayford and produced by Laura Hyde. The executive producer was Ruth Barnes.